So uh, I invite you to turn this morning to John chapter 14. Uh, we're going to read this morning uh, John chapter 14 verses 1 through uh, 26. And uh, you should be proud of me. This is the first time ever in my however many years I've been ordained, uh, 10, 11 years, that I've ever preached a sermon about love on Valentine's Day. So that's a win for me. Um, so when you decide to talk about love, uh, particularly Christian love, there are so many passages to choose from and so many different points the Bible makes that it's kind of overwhelming to just choose one. So the strategy that I've chosen to deal with that problem this morning is to pick a passage that I really need to hear. And so this is something of a self-help sermon this morning. Uh, I want to help me. Specifically, I want to help other people experience Jesus' love through me. I want my wife and kids, my friends, my family, and my church, each time they walk away from me, to be able to say, I think I understand just a little bit more of what Jesus' love looks like because I talked to Matt today. And I'm hoping that by trying to help me do that, I will help you do that. And that's why we're in John 14, because one of the main themes of John 14 is how will we experience Jesus' love after he ascends or rises up into heaven? which is a real problem in John's gospel, Jesus' ascension. Because Jesus is the manifestation, that's the word our text will use this morning, that is the physical appearance of God's love in a real and unique way. So how do we get that after Jesus ascends into heaven? And the answer John 14 gives us is, by the Holy Spirit, through Jesus' people. And so to help us think about that this morning, we're going to look at three things. First, Jesus wants us to know his and the Father's love. That's important. The second is that the Holy Spirit uses our obedience to bring Jesus' love to people. And then finally, we're going to ask, what does keeping the commandments look like in practice? So let's read John 14, 1 to 26, pray, and then we'll start our discussion this morning. So John 14, starting in verse 1, let's hear God's word. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me 
that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Thus far the reading of what truly can only be God's own word. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for this word, which teaches us how you will be present with us in the, after the ascension of, of Jesus, in the love which you pour into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray, therefore, that uh, you would give us minds to understand this word, hearts to believe it, and uh, a desire to live out of it. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word, may they all be pleasing now in your sight. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to talk about from John 14 is that Jesus wants us to know his and the Father's love. So the first thing we need to understand is the larger context of chapter 14. It starts one chapter earlier. In chapter 13, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. It seems like the Passover meal has just finished. Jesus has just sent Judas off, and they're all getting ready to leave to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will be betrayed and then by Judas and then crucified and all, all of that. As they're getting ready to leave, maybe they're nearing the end of clearing the table. Some of them are probably putting on their, their shoes and their coats. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I'm going away and you can't come with me. That's verse 33 of chapter 13. And then he adds, and since I'm going away, I'm leaving you a new, a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Our meditation verse this morning. So the context is, while they're all getting ready to leave, I'm leaving. Make sure that you love each other like I've taught you to. Now imagine Peter. Right? Maybe he has one sandal on. Maybe he has just like one arm through his coat sleeve. He hears this and he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, 
Where are you going? It's verse 36 of chapter 13. And then here Jesus reply, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And then Peter says back to him in the next verse, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And by the way, Peter's response there is not only understandable, I think it might even be good theology. Because basically he's saying, Jesus, if me dying keeps you here, I'll totally die for you. I'm, I'm willing to die to keep you from leaving us, the rest of us. And even more than that, if you must die, I would like to die with you so that I can be in heaven with you. This is an unbelief on Peter's part. This is love that is struggling with the shocking news that someone you deeply care for is about to exit your life for uh, an unknown length of time. And just to add, uh, when Jesus responds, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. I don't think that's a rebuke in John's gospel for Peter's pride. I think it's actually Jesus's clear-eyed recognition that his ability to love us is just greater than our ability to love him. Jesus knows that when it comes to facing the world, the flesh, and the devil, and God's justice, which we usually just call hell, all at once, which is precisely what Jesus would be facing in the Garden of Gethsemane onward, that our love would falter. But rather than hold that against us, Jesus goes on immediately in chapter 14, verse 1, which is just the next sentence in this conversation let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus is basically saying, the thing that you are facing is too big for you, but don't be afraid. It's not too big for God, and it's not too big for me. Now, given uh, how their talk ends, kind of where we stopped, although it kind of goes on in kind of the middle of, verse of chapter 15, Given how it ends, it's clear that Jesus wants the conversation to move towards how the disciples should act while he's away and why they should do that. Uh, but the disciples, very understandably, they want to talk about where Jesus is going, right? And, and they want to talk about why they can't follow him. And that Jesus basically deals with that in chapter 13, kind of starting in verse 36 through chapter 14, verse 7. We're going to look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 14, which is where Jesus starts bringing everything back to his main concern, which is that while he's gone, the disciples need to love one another as he has loved us. So in verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. And then Jesus replies in verse 9, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Now, there's a lot of backstory here that's, uh, being, that's pulling together kind of a number of threads and themes in John's gospel. So just to summarize it, in John's gospel, a main part of Jesus' ministry is to prove that he is the visible, tangible, physical, embodiment in human form of God 
and especially of God the Father's love. Which is why, through Jesus, the disciples have come to experience the profound love of God the Father in ways that they are not excited to lose or to have changed. And in this context of Jesus leaving, what Philip is asking for is a way to know that Jesus will love them and the Father will still love them even while Jesus is away. He's essentially saying, hey, we knew the Father before you came, but after you came, we knew him as we'd never known him before. And since you're leaving, can you give us some kind of assurance that our experience of his love is not going to leave with you? And Jesus' response to Philip's request isn't anger, I don't think. I think it's surprise. Right? How can you say, show us the Father? Like, How can you think that God who went to all the trouble, as I've been preaching to you throughout my whole ministry here, of revealing his love to you through me and, and showing himself to you through me and physically loving you through me, would just he would just up and leave you without the ability to continue to experience that love and his presence. How can you think that he'd do that to you? How can you think I would do that to you? Yeah, I'm leaving, but I'm not abandoning you. I want you to know and to continue to know and to continue to experience my love and the Father's love. Which is why Jesus goes on to say, I'm setting things up so that you can experience my love and the Father's love through each other, my disciples. And this brings us to our second point. The Holy Spirit uses our obedience to bring Jesus' love to people. So verses 12 through 13 are where Jesus really starts to unpack the reason he's leaving this new commandment to love one another as he has loved us to his disciples. This is important. I want you to pay attention. In verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So to be clear, in John's gospel, Jesus' works are not primarily miracles, being born of a virgin, and casting out demons. Jesus' virgin birth isn't mentioned in John's gospel. Jesus does very few miracles in John's gospel, and you might be interested to know this, as far as I was able to tell, and I read through again this week, he never casts out demons in John's gospel. No, in John's gospel, Jesus' works are his acts of welcome to strangers, giving joy to the brokenhearted, his truth-telling, his praying for his people, and is especially bringing people what they need to have joy in God's love through the forgiveness of sins which he brings to them in his incarnation. That is his taking on true human flesh. And by the way, in John's gospel, these works are also called God's glory. And I just say that because I think it's good for us to see that Jesus' works and God's love and God's glory are all connected in the Bible. In fact, they're so connected that Jesus calls his, cru his crucifixion his glorification because it's at that moment when God's love for us and God's righteousness for us shines most brightly in the darkness of our sins. The time when God is most bright is when Jesus 
is dying on the cross for us out of love. These are the works that taught the disciples to see just how deep and broad and high the love of God the Father and the love of God the Son truly is. So in verse 12, when Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus is saying, Just like my works showed the Father's love to you and enabled you to experience that love in a powerful and unique way, day in and day out, so when you believe in me and follow me, your works of love will show my love and the Father's love to each other. And given the power of that statement then, is it any wonder that Jesus then follows this up with this promise in verse 13? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Because in context, Jesus recognizes that loving each other as he has loved us is kind of a daunting task. Daunting kids means, I don't know how I can do that. Laying down our rights, welcoming each other, forgiving each other, praying for each other, speaking the truth to one another, pouring out ourselves, expending ourselves for one another's good in Jesus' name, this is something we cannot do in ourselves. So Jesus tells us, pray to me, and I will make sure that you can do this. Whatever you ask me to do in my name, right? And in context, it's all these deeds of love I will do for you, which tells us something important, right? If you pray to Jesus to help you love someone like he does, Jesus will always say yes to that prayer. Always. Always. He will always answer that prayer with his power and with his grace to enable you to fulfill that desire. Always. Now that by itself is a pretty powerful point, isn't it? But we need to take it further. Because it's one thing to say that Jesus will help us do works of love for each other. It's another thing to say that when we do them, Jesus actually reveals himself to us through them. Right To say we can love in Jesus' name by his Holy Spirit is one thing. To say that when we love in Jesus' name by his Holy Spirit in obedience to his word, we can actually see Jesus through those actions, that's another thing. And if Jesus didn't say that, we probably wouldn't believe it, and I certainly wouldn't be preaching it. But Jesus does say that. So after saying in verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, we're going to come back to that in a minute. Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. So Jesus, is promise, Jesus promises that he, he won't leave them alone. He's not going to orphan them, but they will see him. And the question is, when? Is it after he rises from the dead? Is it after his ascension into heaven? When will we see him? And how will us seeing him give us the assurance 
that we have not been orphaned and left alone by God. Whatever it means that Jesus, that we will see Jesus must be the thing that helps us know that we have not been abandoned by Christ. And Jesus starts to answer that question in verse 19. He says, because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So Jesus talks this way a lot in John's gospel. Excuse me. I know it can be a little confusing, but here's the gist of what this way of talking means. God the Father and God the Son are united in all sorts of ways. They are united in being, right? Like we just confessed, they are one in being, right? They are the same God. They're united in action so that throughout John's gospel and in all the gospels, Jesus will say, what I do, the Father does, right? The Father does his works and I do my works and we are working together doing the same works. They're united in desire for you and for righteousness and for the salvation of their people and for the recreation of heavens and earth when Jesus returns. They're united in love. They're united in speech, right? Jesus says throughout our passage, the words that I'm saying to you aren't my words, they're the Father's words, but of course they're Jesus's words because they are one. They are united. The point being, because they're united, when one of them does something, you can actually see and hear the other one too. So when the Father speaks, you can hear the Son. When the Son speaks, you can hear the Father. That's why the disciples actually understood God the Father's love better through Jesus's life. Because when they heard and saw the love of Jesus, they were hearing at the exact same time the love of God the Father too. Here in verse 19, Jesus explicitly extends that kind of identity to us. And he does that, as he says in verse 26, through the Holy Spirit, who the Father sends to live in us. He says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now this promise of the Holy Spirit bringing Jesus' words to remembrance applies to all of Jesus' words, obviously, but I think they have to apply especially to the things Jesus has just been talking about here, and especially to his words about why the disciples need to be sure to love each other as he has loved us which means then that the Holy Spirit must be especially concerned to help us remember this powerful explanation in verse 21 of just what it means to have the Son in us and us being the Son in a way that is similar, though not exactly the same, to the way that the Father is in Jesus and the way that Jesus is in him. So listen to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, Jesus says, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Did you hear that at the end? I slowed down, so I hope so. Um, if you do the things that I command you, my love and the Father's love will not only be with you, and you will not only know that love, but you will see me through it. I will manifest myself to him, I will reveal myself through 
your uh, commandment-conformed acts of love in my name. So to go back then to the question, when will we see Jesus? When, how will we see the Father? We will see him in the Holy Spirit-empowered, loving actions of his people. Jesus literally reveals himself through the words and deeds of commandment-conformed love of his saints. It's what he says. That's amazing. Have you ever thought about how powerful it is that Jesus wants to unite himself to you in such a way that when you love one another in his name, and in accordance with his word, they can actually see him through you. I will manifest myself to him. I think this is such a powerful word. Jesus didn't have to set it up this way. This isn't a requirement, but he does because he doesn't want us to be orphans. He didn't want to leave us without a physical experience of his love, which he took on a body to give to us. He wants us to be served with physical hands and feet. He wants us to be heard with physical ears and to have words spoken to us out loud because that is, a, that is the fundamental way that we as creatures experience, receive, and give love. Now, is this experience exactly the same, that the, of exactly the same kind that the disciples had with Jesus personally? No, it's not exactly the same, right? But it's similar. And given how big the church would grow and how big Jesus knew the church would grow, this is clearly a huge blessing that Jesus gives to his people. So think about Jesus and his humanity, right? He has one body. How many places can you be at one time? Kids, you all know the answer. I can't be in two places at once. Give me a second, right? How many places can you be in one place? So Jesus in his humanity can't physically be in Indiana and New York City and all the cities in China and Turkey and Laos and Uganda and the Bahamas and wherever else his people are at the same time in his humanity. But through his people, by his Holy Spirit, he can be in all those places, physically serving all of his people through their hands and feet. And by the way, this is what I think Jesus means when he says, we will do greater works than he did, not greater in the sense of accomplishment, because nothing is a greater accomplishment than the cross and resurrection, but greater in number. Being able to physically show his love to the greatest number of people is something that the church can do and does right now as we, in Jesus' name, obey his commandments of love. Because there's just so many of us. And we get to love in his name together. But only, and this brings us to our last point, if we keep his commandments. So as Jesus says over and over again, a new command I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's chapter 13, verse 34. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's 14, verse 1. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and that's the one who has Jesus manifest himself to them. That's 14, verse 21. That means if I'm going to show my family 
and my friends and my church, Jesus, through my acts of love, that will only happen as my actions keep, conform to, obey, reveal Jesus' commandments. So what does that mean? Well, obviously there's a lot we could say about this, right? And I want to say more about this, Lord willing, later on in our life together when we come back and kind of preach John's gospel. Um, I think next year, pick back up where we left in 2019 uh, or 2020. Uh, but I, I, I want to be very practical here. So because Jesus is the embodiment of perfect law keeping, you can approach this from two ways. You could say we can look at all the individual commandments and we could then take those and look at Jesus and we could say, do you see how Jesus fulfills the commandments? Or you can look at Jesus and recognize that whatever Jesus does, he is fulfilling all the commandments. They're mutually interpretive so that you can look at the commands and see Jesus or look at Jesus and see the commands. For the sake of time, we're going to think about Jesus. Because whatever you see Jesus doing in any of the Gospels is what the commands call you to do. Whatever you see Jesus doing conforms to the commandments. However you see Jesus speaking, that is commandment obedience. So what does, it, what does Jesus look like in the Gospels? Well, I want to give some practical examples. Just looking at John's Gospel. At the wedding at Cana, the very first thing that sort of Jesus does when he shows up on the scene in John's Gospel, Jesus turns water into wine. Why? Because he wanted to celebrate God's blessing of marriage and what it meant to be a bride and a groom and to be joined together as families. So while we are not commanded to turn water into wine, which is good because I can't do that, uh, we can join Jesus and rejoice with those who rejoice and even take steps to help them rejoice more like Jesus did. Not simply say, I'm happy for you, but I'm happy for you and I want to do something to increase your joy, which is what Jesus does in the wedding at Cana. Jesus also mourned with those who mourned. In the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, he first weeps and mourns with Mary and Martha. And he, by the way, he does so in ways that fit each of their personalities. So Jesus comes to the people around him and he says, I'm going to join you in your grief and grieve with you. Jesus prays for those around him. Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays for his listeners. He, he prays with them too. That's an act of love that we, and I'm pointing at myself, pay a lot of lip service to, I think. But I'll confess, I'm not always the best at that. But Jesus shows love and expresses obedience to the commandments by praying for and with kind of everybody that he is with in the Gospels. Jesus gives people the word. It's not always a comfortable word. The word he gave to the Pharisees didn't always make them comfortable. They don't always make us comfortable. But they were important because when Jesus shares the Bible, the word, the goal is to grow someone's relationship with God, which means sometimes they need to repent. Sometimes they need assurance. Sometimes they need welcome. 
But Jesus shared that with them through the word of God, which he spoke repeatedly to the people around him. Jesus welcomed the stranger and the social outcast. He welcomed the popular and he welcomed the known and he brought them together as his people. That's also his acts of love. If you look at the Gospels carefully, you'll see that Jesus' disciples are a mashup of all different parts of Jewish and Roman society, including women and children. Uh, we tend to only think about the 12 disciples, but seriously, as you go through and read the Gospels, pay attention to who gets called his disciples. You'll see huge numbers of people from a wide variety of backgrounds, people even probably from Herod's own household, all the way down to lepers who lived in leper colonies who were healed. It's a huge variety of people. Jesus brought them together and welcomed them. It's part of how we show love. We love like Jesus when we welcome one another in his name. And I could go on, but I hope this is helpful. Because these are things that are not ridiculously hard. They're not super spiritual practices, right? This isn't go sell everything you have and live in a field and yell Jesus saves in the cold snow. It's a... Uh, it's just saying, I want to welcome you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to rejoice with you. I'm going to mourn with you. I'm going to figure out ways to increase your joy. I'm going to speak God's word to you. I'm actually going to intentionally take time to think about, what about God's word do you need to hear that I can give you? I'm going to listen to you speak God's word to me. I'm going to embrace you as Christ embraced his disciples. I'm going to speak words of peace to you. I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to help you. That's how Jesus loves his people throughout the Gospels. Sort of on top of, or maybe underneath of, the greatest work of love he did, which is lay down his life for us. Which, by the way, I think, if you wanted to get even more practical, Jesus' command is, love one another as I have loved you. And then throughout the rest of the New Testament, that commandment gets, pull, gets pulled apart in various ways, doesn't it? Jesus loved us by not thinking of himself more than us, but thinking of us more than himself. Dying to pride so that he could humbly serve us. The book of Hebrews says that you have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. And the point there is not only fighting against individual temptation, but resisting sin in such a way that you are actually able to help those around you love Jesus more. Because it's hard. And the author of Hebrews says, you haven't done it as hard as Jesus has. Love one another as I have loved you. And whatever you ask for in my name, I will do it. There is a sacrificial element to following the love of Christ that Christ promises to empower. It doesn't have to, again, be extravagant. But sometimes it's going to be hard. And that's okay. Because Jesus promises to hear our prayers and to empower us as we do it in his name. So what Jesus is saying is, as you love me and follow the commandments the way that I did and the way that I do, you will look like me daily. And in that, you'll be loving each other as I have loved you. Which means that through you, others will see me and know me because the Holy Spirit will reveal me to them through your acts of love. Do you want your spouse to see Jesus, your children, your grandchildren, the people sitting next to you in the pew, your church? Do you want your coworkers to see Jesus? 
Do you want the people in the grocery store to see Jesus? Jesus says that's absolutely possible as you love them in my name in accordance to my commandments. I will manifest myself to you and them through those deeds. What a powerful word. Let's, uh, let's devote ourselves, therefore, to loving one another as Jesus has loved us and prayerfully commit ourselves to following his command here. Amen? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you that you have chosen to unite us to yourself by the Holy Spirit so that Jesus could actually be seen through our obedient acts of love. Uh, please help us to follow your word more closely so that Jesus would be seen in all that we say and do. Uh, because we want to know your love more. We want to see Jesus more clearly. And we want everyone around us to know and see him more clearly through us. And uh, Lord, you have promised that we can ask this in confidence because you have said that you will always answer this prayer with a yes and an amen. And so we ask all of this in his name and in accordance to your promises. Amen.